Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, gang, think about this. Some senior regulars at a local center weren't seen for a while. The reason was... We were fine, we just didn't have a ticket. If you don't have a ticket, that means you didn't have the money to buy the ticket. And we're talking about a $4 meal ticket. Jill Graskowitz of Club 60 talks about an epidemic among seniors called food insecurity. And do you remember the good old days when you suffered a minor injury and the only place to go was the emergency room? Nurse Sharon Lawless, who has lived in this area for decades, says things have changed. If I had not had Medicare Advantage, that procedure would have caused me over $700. And we'll talk with Sharon about health care changes in a rural area. We'll also look at how Medicare might not pay all of your health-related costs. And one of those costs might come from the COVID variant. Yes, COVID is still with us. We'll also look at the dreaded technology. Yes, passwords on one side and Kroger electronic coupons on the other. Then we'll take a walk for your brain. That's right, walking for the brain. The news is next. Boomer News from OK Boomer. I'm Robert Rickman. This from the AARP Public Policy Institute. Medicare provides vital health care coverage to most adults aged 65 and older and to some younger persons with disabilities or end-stage renal disease. The program pays for a portion of the cost for certain inpatient and outpatient health care services and for many people prescription drug costs. Yet, contrary to a common belief, Medicare does not cover all health care related costs. Using the 2019 Medicare Current Beneficiary Survey, AARP highlights that many Medicare beneficiaries face significant out-of-pocket expenses to meet their health care needs. Health care expenses can create a considerable financial burden for many people with Medicare. And in 2019, just as in the two preceding years, half of those with traditional Medicare spent at least 16% of their income on health care. One in 10 traditional Medicare beneficiaries spent at least 52% of their income on health care. That's 52% of their income. Overall, in 2019, people with traditional Medicare spend an average of $6,663 on insurance premiums and medical services. One in 10 people with traditional Medicare spent at least $11,000 in 2019, and the top quarter of spenders paid an average of over $15,000. And one of the many diseases that Medicare covers is COVID. Yes, it's still with us. Mark McClellan, MD, discusses the latest COVID variant Arcturus, Arcturus, and its growing presence in the United States. There is a new COVID variant circulating now called Arcturus. It's very infectious. In the United States, at least, though, it's only increasing as a share of cases gradually. But it is a reminder that COVID is still out there. One of the things that's been reported associated with this new variant is eye infections, conjunctivitis in children. Remember, though, that most people don't have symptoms when they get COVID today. So if you have symptoms, even if you weren't previously exposed to COVID, that you know of, it's important to get a test and to think about getting treatment to talk to your doctor if it's positive. And that's the latest on COVID. Now, according to the new University of Maryland School of Public Health Research, regular walks strengthen connections in and between brain networks, adding to growing evidence linking exercise with slowing the onset of Alzheimer's disease. And as usual, in a few minutes, we'll have our walk to the coffee pot. Anyway, published this month in the Journal for Alzheimer's Disease Reports, the study examined the brains and story recollection abilities of older adults with normal brain function and those diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment, which is a slight decline in mental abilities like memory, reasoning, and judgment and risk factor for Alzheimer's. 
Jay Carson Smith, a professor with the School of Public Health and principal investigator of the study, says, Historically, the brain networks are studied in this research. They show deterioration over time in people with mild cognitive impairment and Alzheimer's disease. The study builds upon Smith's previous research, which showed how walking may decrease cerebral blood flow and improve brain function in older adults with mild cognitive impairment. 33 participants, ranged from 71 and 85 years old, walked while supervised on a treadmill four days a week for 12 weeks. Before and after this exercise regimen, researchers asked participants to read a short story and then repeat it out loud with as many details as possible. Participants also underwent functional magnetic resonance imaging so researchers could measure changes in communication within and between the three brain networks that control cognitive function. Now, after 12 weeks of exercise, researchers repeated the test and saw significant improvements in participants' story recall abilities. Professor Smith said the brain activity was stronger and more synchronized, demonstrating exercise actually can induce the brain's ability to change and adapt. Smith also said these results provide even more hope that exercise may be useful as a way to prevent or help stabilize people with mild cognitive impairment and maybe, over the long term, delay their conversion to Alzheimer's dementia. Now let's turn to something from Alzheimer's dementia and walking to something will drive you absolutely nuts whether you have it or not. Almost everything takes place online these days, as you can see. On every site, you need to have a password. It can be very confusing to navigate all of these passwords. It's not always easy to know exactly how to make the best password, and the hardest thing is to remember all these passwords. Cyber criminals are targeting regular people, especially the older generation, we boomers. One of the most important ways to protect yourself against these cyber criminals is to learn how to make strong, unique passwords and know how to protect them. First, use a password manager. One of the hardest things about online passwords is remembering them. When you have different passwords for all your accounts, it's, it's no easy task to keep track of them. In fact, I think for me it's impossible. So use a password manager and never forget your password again. Actually, you can forget it, but the password manager won't. You're the only one who can access the manager, and you always have your passwords on hand. Then you can use a password generator. You've probably heard that it's very important to have strong passwords today. There are unfortunately many cyber criminals who try to breach accounts. Your password should always be random, a random combination of numbers, symbols, and letters. Avoid using anything with a personal reference like the names of your children, um, the word password, or your phone number. Choose a password with at least eight to 12 characters. Use a password generator. That will generate all the strong passwords that you need, and then you can put them in the password manager. And some of these password managers also are password generators. And avoid telling anyone about your password. Sometimes a person tells the people close to them what their passwords are, or even sends the password in a message. Uh, this is not to be recommended. If you write your password, it can easily be compromised. You never know when someone might have hacked their way into someone's account. So it's important to keep your passwords to yourself. If you want to get more information on the online world and how to navigate it, you can find more technology articles on babyboomers.com. That's babyboomers.com, one of our partners. And now we're going from passwords to coupons. Are you having problems with those damn digital coupons? You know, the ones you're supposed to find on your smartphone but can't find them? Or once you've found the coupon, you struggle with the store app or can't download the thing or whatever? Well, there is one retailer that has a solution, the announcement from Kroger. Kroger says, we understand that not all customers choose to engage digitally when shopping with retailers. Customers who would like to take advantage of digital coupons can receive discounting pricing at any customer service desk. That's at Kroger. They also add, customers do not need a smartphone to access savings. Simply log on to Kroger.com and start clipping after entering your Kroger Plus card number. So you can clip your digital coupons on your laptop and the coupons go directly to your loyalty card. That is one of the uh, retailers that's trying to clean up problems with digital coupons. Now imagine having to decide whether to put gas in your car 
or pay $4 for lunch at the local senior center. And you don't have enough gas for both. Decisions like this are made every day because senior hunger is a pressing issue in the United States. 5.5 million seniors, 60 and up, and 3.8 million older adults, 50 to 59, experienced food insecurity in 2021. Those are the latest statistics from the website Feeding America. Jill Graskwitz of Club 60 says we are in an unprecedented uh, level with food insecurity um, due to the persistently high uh, inflation rates and uh, the cut in food stamps earlier this year. So the, the rise in food insecurity has caused many Americans to have to skip meals. And actually, uh, the city of Boston, their food bank, did a study, and it shows 44% of Americans are skipping a meal. 44% of Americans? 44%, according to their study. And there is a 19% increase in food stamp need due to inflation from pre-COVID versus post-COVID. And unfortunately, instead of increasing that number, the government has decreased. If everyone noticed in February and March, your SNAP program or your food stamp money on your link card, specifically here in Illinois, dropped significantly over $300 uh, reduction in one month. And that is, you know, it, it puts a lot of families at risk, especially older adults who already are at risk because they don't have the ability to make good, nutritious, healthy meals that are home cooked with less uh, salt, less sugar to meet their dietary needs. They're going and either having to choose between groceries and medicines which has always been an issue but now it's how am i going to pay rent or my mortgage how am i going to pay my light bill how am i going to pay my water bill how am i going to put gas in the car how am i going to get from point a to point b how am i going to pay my copay at doctor's appointments and it puts seniors in a bad position. So what we're doing here is we're being proactive about it. Okay, at Club 60, the Marion uh, Senior Citizen Center. Yes, we have seen the need here locally and in our center with people that we see on a daily basis. So we wanna be very proactive and make sure that our seniors are fed. We're working with Senator Fowler, um, Jim Hill, the uh, St. Louis Greater Area Food Bank, the Evansville Food Bank, um, and a slew of, of other people to build our own senior food bank uh, or food pantry. And it's, it's not into effect yet. We've not we've not um, collected enough items yet but especially at the end of the month when social security has kind of run out and your you know your bills and your medicines and you're trying to stretch that dollar as much as you can we have received gracious donations from senator fowler and um, our donors in uh, food items that will help you just write out those last days of the month or whenever you need an item, you can come to us and we will help you and make sure that you don't go hungry. One of the signs of food insecurity was people coming in for the meals and they, they would be um, usual customers. They, they'd come in, but, but then they stopped coming in. So we feed about 200 people a day. And out of that 200 people, you get to know them. You see them every day or every other day or, you know, on their favorite days. And when someone who comes every day doesn't come, you worry about them. You know, hey, did you have a doctor's appointment or did family come and visit? 
And when they come back, you ask, you know, hey, we're, you know, are you okay? We missed you the other day. And someone has said to me, oh, yes, we just, we were fine. We just didn't have a ticket. Well, if you don't have a ticket, that means you didn't have the money to buy the ticket. And even though our meals are $4 and $5, seems like a nominal um, rate for the type of meal that you get. And you've eaten here several times. So you know that we have big portions mm-hmm. and that they are good family um not family style, but, you know, homemade meals that you and, would and have. I, uh, every time I had to get a doggy bag and take it home, I couldn't eat it all. Yes. That is one of the, the reasons that we do give such large portions. Because we know that there are people out there who either cannot cook or cannot afford to cook. So we, we want you to be able to take some home to eat or snack on later in the evening. Mm-hmm. We want to do as much as we can for our seniors, especially here in Marion. We feed 200 people a day, and we have people on a waiting list for that 200 people because you can't go even to one of the fast food restaurants that, you know, have a a value meal and get nutritious meals that are of large proportions for $4 or $5. I mean, a soda now costs a dollar fifty, and you know a chicken sandwich is now two fifty. We can give you much more for four and five dollars. Jill Graskowitz of the Marion, Illinois Senior Citizen Center, located in Southern Illinois. Next time, Jill will tell us how Club Sixty is making changes to attract you, the baby boomer. And considering changes, let's talk about changes in health care in a rural area. Sharon Lawless is a nurse, and she hangs out at the Murfreesboro Senior Citizen Center, and she's been here for decades. ago, if you didn't have insurance, and I, I, I saw patients that they would go to the emergency room just to be treated for a minor thing. And now, and now the good thing is that we do have uh, some, a small community where just called urgent care. But for the older person, Medicare, finally, they put your Medicare and your insurance, your secondary insurance together, and they're calling it Medicare Advantage which I recently just myself had a minor procedure done with a dermatologist. If I had not had Medicare Advantage, that procedure would have cost me over $700. It cost me $42, and I had a specialist doing the procedure, and it was done right here in Carbondale. I remember at the end of last year, 2021, spending about at least a day looking up Medicare providers and Medicare programs. Now, I selected another Medicare Advantage program. I know how to get into this stuff and do it, and I I made a selection. What about somebody who doesn't have the time to do it and is not trained as an investigator? How can they get a decent program for their needs? Uh, yes, point very well taken. And uh, even with a nursing background, I had a similar issue with there's like 20 million different. Uh, you talk about confusing. I mean, it was it was so confusing. I wanted to say, oh, forget this. And this is in a rural area where the yeah. the options are limited. It's not a, in a big city. Yeah. Uh, so I finally um, went with the one that would take the secondary insurance that I, that I had to start with. And so, okay, we'll go that way. Yep, she went that way. That was recorded a year ago. And that's Karen Lawless. She's a nurse, and she is at the Murfreesboro Senior Center. Okay, gang? Okay, boomers! That's a little loud. Uh, That's our and tree song. They're going to be on the air in another uh, 40 minutes for your community spirit. Let's get up. Oh, gosh, the lumbago is acting up again. And take a walk. We're going to be walking to the coffee pot as usual for our coffee experience. Hmm, somebody left open a window. 
You're not supposed to do that in a radio station. Okay, that's the WDBX cruise ship. Um, there's no water there. It just sits there. People come. Okay, close the window. <laughs> there we go. Hey, everybody. It's the White Raven from the Hot, Hot, Hot Louisiana Gumbo Pot right here on WDBX, Sundays, 12 to 2. Join me and all the Gumbo Pot heads where I'll be bringing you all the best music from Louisiana, New Orleans, the Bayou, with a little bit of Delta Blues thrown in for good measure. So all you swamp rats, grab your Zydeco shoes, meet me in the Gumbo Pot at high noon. We always pass a good time, Chef. Peace, love, and Zydeco. Aye! Are you an aspiring author looking to get your book published? Look no further than Tech Time Publishing Company. At Tech Time, we specialize in bringing the best books to readers everywhere. Our team of experienced editors and designers work closely with authors to bring their stories to life, ensuring every book is of the highest quality. But that's not all. Tech Time also offers a unique service to translate and narrate books and revenue sharing. This means that our talented team of translators and narrators will be compensated with a share of the book sales. So whether you're an author, translator, or narrator, Tech Time is the place to be. Join our community of book lovers and let us help you bring your stories to the world. Visit our website today to learn more. That's techtime.it. Techtime dot it and if you're looking for a first-class italian translator check out laura squigna it's spelled s-g-u-i-g-n-a laura squigna and you can find her on the tech time website under translators hi i'm bob smith i'm marcia smith the world is dark enough so we like to keep it fun and light join us for 30 minutes of fact-filled fun every week on the off-ramp trivia podcast you'll hear fascinating facts about history music discovery weird animals and everything in between including little known facts about well-known people each week right here on the The off-ramp find us wherever you get your podcasts or visit us online at theofframp.show Let's uh, have some coffee right now. Get the coffee machine going. Now we're going to go back about 10 years when the Cub Scouts visited me at a radio station in Nashville, Tennessee. It was not without incident. Papa Joe with Robert. No, it's Cup Joe with Robert. Oh. One, two, three. Cup Joe with Robert! On WGNS! Papa Joe with Robert here with Den 5 of the Cub Scouts here in Murfreesboro. Quiet! Thank you. Now don't start crying over there. No, don't touch that! Sorry. Launch the rocket. That's it's an expensive rocket you guys just launched. Okay, what kind of badge are you going to get for visiting? A tiger badge. A tiger badge. A tiger badge. Now, what's a tiger badge look like? It has a tiger on the front, and it has a tiger down there. Down there. That means down below the badge. and, and It says tiger below the tiger. Now how, does, now, how does that have to do with radio? After we go to a radio station, we get our tiger badge. Okay. That thing's going to go up there. The little thing that's that thing? Like yeah. that? Yeah. What does it do? It measures the volume, how loud you're talking. Go ahead, talk loud into the microphone. Oh, yow! Nothing like wearing a pair of headphones and talking to a Cub Scout. <laughs> <laughs> okay, questions. Anybody got a question? At 1450 kilohertz, a thousand watts. How far do you radiate? Microphones before it. <laughs> okay, fourteen fifty. Um, uh, write it down, and I'll answer it next week. With Cub Scout Den Number Five. Call it Robert. Knock it off. That was good for two aspirin. Hey, let's go back into the past with Roger Ramjet, and he'll be playing a song, one of my favorites. 
him but to be him. Roger and Jed, he's our man, hero of our nation. For his adventure, just be sure and stay tuned to the station. So come and join us, all you kids, for lots of fun and laughter. As Roger and Jed and his men get all the crooks they're after. Roger and Jed, he's our man, hero of our nation. For his adventure, just be sure and stay tuned to the station. Sweet Talkin' Woman was a number 17 hit for the Electric Light Orchestra and the third of six ELO favorites on my playlist. Jeff Lynne wrote this song, which was originally called Dead End Street, but he didn't like the way it turned out, so the lyrics were rewritten. R-R-P. Here's Sweet Talkin' Woman from the Electric Light Orchestra. Out of the past 1978, Electric Light Orchestra, Slow Talking Woman. And that's courtesy of the Jet. Okay, Boomer. Yeah, that's the name of the program, Okay, Boomer. I'm Robert Rickman. And uh, we're going to continue in a few minutes with Bob and Marcia Smith, and they're going to be talking about some trivia. Here's the big question everyone's been waiting for. How do ladies' underwear fit with hot air balloons? Yes, uh, that was a historic moment. Bob Smith and Marcia have the report on the off-ramp. What's the most expensive movie ever made? And how did ladies' underwear lead to the first hot air balloon? (laughs) (laughs) Answers to those and other questions coming up today on The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to The Off-Ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Okay, uh, what was the most expensive movie ever made? Is it a recent movie? Yeah. It's uh, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, which I think was the fourth in the series of Pirates of Caribbean. And it's a Disney film. And uh, it didn't help that Johnny Depp's salary alone was $55 million. Jeez. (laughs) Jeez, not bad salary for a 2011 movie that got really bad reviews. Wow. You know what the cheapest movie ever made was? No, what was it? Uh, it was a huge hit and made lots of money. So one of the least expensive movies. It cost $60,000 to make in 1999. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. What was it? It was the Blair Witch Project. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That was uh, that was like the beginning of uh, reality, reality films. It is. It was the very beginning. And they had great reviews and made back $248 million. After spending that sixty thousand, wow, that's a good return on investment. That was a scary movie. Okay, so how did ladies' underwear lead to the first hot air balloon ride? Well, <laughs> going back a bit, I imagine they had you know weren't there pantaloons or what were those petticoats? Petticoats, yes, and uh, they they were a bit flotatious. <laughs> you, you know, you're on the right track. I made that word up. But, now, this uh, is the uh, story of uh, the wife of Jacques Montgolfier. She washed a petticoat one day and hung it over a fire to dry, and the heat inflated that petticoat and caused it to rise. And Jacques Montgolfier and Joseph Montgolfier <laughs> launched the first hot air balloon in June 1783 at Anne, France, Hot air from a fire inflated the balloon, and it's believed they got the inspiration for that from Jacques' wife's petticoats. <laughs> Who knew that women's underwear could lead to a major well, advance well, in transportation? That is, that is I'm something. sure women's underwear has yeah, slowed or yeah. stopped things. Yeah, they, wow. Okay, well, that that's kind of funny. What was the year with that? That was 1783. Okay. The first hot air balloon ride. Okay, Bob, what's the most hydrating liquid you can drink? I would think it's water. That's what I said. Yeah. But it's actually way down the list. Really? Near the bottom of the list. Yep. Okay. All right. The winner for the most hydrating, (laughs) you're going to love this, for the most hydrating drink is skim milk. You're kidding. No. It's sugar, protein, and fat. They slow the emptying of fluid from the stomach. And its sodium acts as a sponge, keeping water in your body. 
So it is the combination of the chemical elements of that drink. Of skim milk, and it keeps you hydrated longer than uh, anything else. Because you need a little of that low-level sugar for energy. But after that comes uh, Pedialyte. You know what that meant? Pedialyte? When the babies oh, were babies, okay. <laughs> Pedialyte was good for keeping them hydrated. Uh, and then there's sodas and juices with their higher content of sugars. Also empty more slowly from the stomach than water. Hmm. For hydration. You know, the guys in football, they're always drinking uh, Gatorade. Gatorade. Right. Yeah, so that's better than water, too. Which was invented for that purpose, as a matter of fact. For hydration. Yes. Well, there you go. Skim milk, Bob. Speaking of athletes and athletics and games, here's a question for you. How far back does flipping a coin to make a decision go? Football games, for instance, start with the flipping of the coin to determine who gets the ball. Yes. I'll bet it goes back to... Those Roman coins, you know, the pieces of eight? It does go back to the Roman coins. No, pieces of eight were Spanish coins. Well, pieces of eight Pieces were, of eight were Spanish coins. And Roman coins were Roman coins. So they were <laughs> flipping back then, you know, who gets the biggest jug of Cut water? your losses and let's get to the answer, Marsh. <laughs> the truth Fine. is nobody really knows. <laughs> <laughs> that, come on, you let me angle all that? No, what we do know is that using heads or tails to make decisions dates back to the 7th century B.C. and Romans. And the term they used was navia ot caput, meaning the ship or the head, because back then Roman coins had an image of a ship on one side and the head of the ruler on the others. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Okay, what do these decisions have in common? What to name Portland, Oregon, and who would be the pilot for the first man flight? Well, does it have to do with your coin question? Yes, it does. Oh, surprise. Yeah, okay. yeah. They were both decided with a coin flip. With a coin flip. In, oh, uh, that's how we decided to get married, wasn't it? Yes, heads, no. No, I don't <laughs> think so. It was a little more to the heart. Okay. But yes. Wilbur and Orville decided who would be first to fly their airplane with a flip of the coin. Is Wilbur right? won the toss. Uh-huh. But he stalled the plane and drove it into the sand. <laughs> After several days of repairs, Orville flew the plane the and he made time. the first flight. Yeah. Oh. But up in uh, Oregon, two New England natives wanted to name their city after their hometowns, and Aza Lovejoy was from Boston and Francis Pettigrove from Portland, Maine. Portland won. I was going to say, that's kind of curious that there's a Portland on each coast, isn't there? Now we know why. Yep, now we do. Yeah. All coin right. flips, coin tosses go back to 7th century B.C. or Fascinating, earlier. Bob. Fascinating, Bob. I thought so, Marcia. Okay, here's something relevant. What living creature today has the most eyes? Is it an octopus? No, or, we did or that. Is it, or is it a bee? No, see, Remember some... he, that octopus had, what, eight eyes or something? Yeah. Uh, is it a bee? A bee has a bunch of eyes? Yeah, no. Okay, what is it? The dragonfly does. Really? And you want to take a guess? How many? I'll say four. Yeah. One uh, for each side, one for the front, and one for the back. Very close. Uh huh. 28,000. <laughs> <laughs> that was close. Thank you. 28,000 eyes on a dragonfly? I know. Some species have more than 28,000 lenses per compound eye, and they see 360 degrees, as you might expect. <laughs> I would hope so. I, that's what I thought. They are also. Fast flyers, because when you can see everything, and they can go fast, forward, and backward up to 30 miles an hour. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, that that's... 28,000. Actually, that speed is almost more interesting than the eyes, you know, because yeah, the, the number 30? of eyes is just like boggles the mind, yes, you know? That's an optometrist heaven there. Oh, with could the... you imagine? Yeah. You could have your whole career <laughs> times 10 on For one. one. Dragonfly. Uh, we got another dragonfly. <laughs> I know you've only been working for 45 years, but would you like to take a crack at this? Okay. Okay, we all know that during the quarantine of the coronavirus, the COVID-19, there have been a lot of things have changed. There have been businesses that have been fired up, like we talk about Zoom, and there have been businesses that have crashed and burned. And I have to tell you about one that I'm sure you'll be sad about, because you and our daughter Chelsea enjoyed one of these things a number of years ago, and it's the uh, Segway. That was introduced in 2001 and was uh, known as a pioneer in personal transportation. Yeah. And uh, they've decided to cease production. Well, because nobody's using them? Apparently, it never turned into what they thought it was going to be. They thought it was going to be selling in the hundreds of thousands, and yeah. it never did. Uh, now, back in uh, 2010, the company's network uh, on their website said they had 250 dealers 
and uh, experience centers, they called it, in 80 countries. But in 2015, it was sold to a Chinese company, and since then, it's just not done well. So it's, So they're ceasing production of the Segway. I wonder why. I mean, it's not like you could take it to the store, but then how do you lock it up? Well, and, yeah. Uh, and it, you don't want to go on the road, and you don't. if you go on the sidewalk, you mow people down. It's an odd form of transportation. It's been called the most hyped invention since the Macintosh computer. <laughs> really? Yeah, the two-wheeled self-balancing yeah. namesake. Apparently, they've got other products. They have uh, actually e-bikes, you know, like uh, electric motorcycles and things yeah. like that. They make too. Okay. So they may be making other things, but they've decided the brand will no longer make its two-wheeled self-balancing namesake after 19 years it's been in business. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, you're right. Uh, we went on it way towards the beginning there. And you liked it a lot, didn't you? Yeah, we had fun. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. It was a nice way to get around. What percentage of Americans spent time outdoors more than once a week before the virus more hit? Than, who doesn't go outside more than once a week? That's amazing. But it, not many, huh? No. Okay, okay to, I'll, I'll say uh, 30%. Believe it or not, I think this is incredible. According to the Outdoor Industry Association, pre-pandemic, yeah. less than 20% of Americans spent time outdoors more than once a week. That's nuts. We're a nation of such beautiful country yeah. and beautiful land, and 80% of the people spend most of their time indoors? That's so unhealthy. That's incredible. Yeah. So less than one-fifth of Americans said they spent time outdoors more than once a week. Well, not anymore. Not anymore. Now that that virus hit, 18% say they're spending more time outdoors. Adult bike sales have risen 121% yeah. nationally. And in Vermont, sales of fishing license have gone up 50%. Uh-huh. Can't get there from here. So. <laughs> and travel agents are pivoting towards uh, planning uh, trips and excursions with smaller tours or even individual tours. They're calling it isolationist travel now. That's the new term. Really? Yeah. Well, that's uh, fascinating. Okay, what you got there? All right, I got one. All right. Kind of curious, I thought. Mm-hmm. Who are the only people, Bob, that a trained tracker dog cannot distinguish between. Now, these dogs are trained to smell your scarf or something and can find you, but they can't distinguish between these two people on who's who. Two types of people. Yeah. Stinky people (laughs) or not stinky people. Well, that's a fair guess. Yeah. What if they wear too much perfume? That would probably overwhelm the senses of the dog. You would think, but that's not the answer. I don't know. What is it? They can't distinguish between twins. You're kidding. No. They can't tell which one is which. Wow. Now that tells you something about that sense. Yeah. That sense of the they animal. They have highly, highly refined sense. I mean, even a dachshund has about 125 million smell-sensitive cells in its nose compared with humans' meager 5 million cells. Wow. So that's how exponentially more a dog's nose has. And these dogs that are trained for it cannot distinguish between identical From twins. one twin to another. Yeah. Huh. Interesting, I thought. So you could have two twins and you split up. Yeah. That's going to confuse the dog. Yeah, go two oh, different oh, Go over yeah, here, back. I don't know, go over there. <laughs> here, what was the slogan on the first U.S. coin? This is funny. Is it? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, in George we trust? No. No, that would be before that. The slogan on the first U.S. coin was, mind your business. <laughs> <laughs> Now, that's Gee. what was on the first continental dollar wow. in 1776. 17, that's a little harsh. It's isn't believed it? to have been based on a design by Benjamin Franklin. Now, the phrase mind your business officially meant pay attention to your financial affairs to stay safe. It's likely the meaning we have today, mind your own business, also entered Ben's mind. He probably thought it was kind of funny to do that, but it was his idea. Well, that's. Uh that's very he interesting. He was a wily old guy. Yeah. You know, yeah. lots of fun. When did it get uh, In God We Trust? Uh, don't know. Huh. My dad used to say, In God We Trust, all others pay cash. <laughs> oh, he was a <laughs> clever man. That he was a clever man. his own Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> okay, here's one. What is the origin of the name Oscar for the Academy Award? It was uh, somebody who was, I think, on the committee or who was a member of the Academy, and she said that she thought the statue looked like her husband. Close, but it's not quite right. Okay. It uh, <laughs> The first trophy was known simply as the statuette. It was not until four years after the inaugural banquet that Oscar was christened. In 1931, Margaret Herrick, then the Academy's librarian, hmm. 
spotted a copy of the statuette on an executive's desk. And she said, wow, he looks just like my Uncle Oscar. Oh, (laughs) her uncle. That's interesting. And her off-the-cuff remark was repeated around the academy, and the name stuck. Oh, isn't that interesting? A librarian's librarian. Uncle. And, you know, there's uh, a librarian, and that's not the highest level position in an organization, but she influenced the entire, entire history, history of film. That's right. And I always thought it was an acronym for, you know, something. I've got another fascinating story about the human body. Did you know that your organs might reach 100 even if you don't? <laughs> well, I hate to see him go on without me, but go ahead. Well, here's an interesting story. This is proof that it's possible. In 2008, a 19-year-old Turkish woman with liver disease was in urgent need of a transplant. Yeah. Her, her liver started to shut down. Doctors rushed to save their life. What year was this? 2008. Okay. The only option was a liver that had already been turned down by other hospitals. Its previous owner was a 93-year-old woman. Oh, my gosh. But they had no choice. There were no other organs available, so they went ahead with a transplant. The operation took place at the Liver Transplantation Institute at Ionu University in Malatya, Turkey. Now, it was a success. Six years later, the recipient gave birth to a healthy baby girl with that old liver inside of her. And guess what? A year later, on her daughter's first birthday, the mother turned 26... And her liver celebrated its 100th birthday. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's a good way to put it. I like it. So yes. few of us will ever know what it's like to have a liver as old as your great-grandparents. Yeah. But the interesting thing about this wow. is it's proof that some of our organs age differently than others if they're treated right. You yeah. Know? And some things age faster, something age so slower. So you wonder where she's going to be in 30 years with yeah. her liver. If, well, maybe or it, maybe it just keeps going. Maybe it will because new blood vessels can help it regenerate. Yeah. You know, livers can regenerate. That's know. what I was going to say. Isn't that the most regenerative it's, organ in your body? It's one of them, yes. Huh. In fact, a Stanford University geneticist likens it to a car. Overall, the whole functioning of a car declines, but some parts wear out faster than others. If your engine is starting to go, you can fix that. If later the body wears out, you can fix that and so on. Now, tell me this. What about specific organs? How do they fare? What's the most resistant to age? Uh, Of all your organs? Yeah. Um, This is based on studies. Okay. Let me guess. Of all my organs. And this is a surprise to me. Yeah. It wouldn't be your heart. No. Because I think that's the first to go. Uh, Your brain? No. Well, there hasn't been any brain transplant as far as I know. Oh, really? (laughs) Only in the movies. (laughs) Okay. Here's where it is. This is surprising. The cornea on your eye. That is the most resistant organ of all to age. Donor age apparently has little effect. So the biggest lesson, since the human body ages at different rates, in many ways our annual birthdays mean little when it comes to our biological age. And that comes from a great article from the British Broadcasting System website. The title I said was... uh, your organs might reach 100 even if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> that is a compelling headline, isn't it? Why did movie audiences have to be paid to see the first silent movies in Hong Kong? Why did movie audiences have to be paid? Did it have to do with going into a black, quiet room, a dark room? Is that dangerous or had bad omen for people in, in China? Close, but they were frightened of the potential evil power of the moving spirits on the screen. And they refused to enter. They thought it was, you know, bad juju. Whoa, this isn't good. This is, <laughs> what you know, like the people, you couldn't take their picture because you'd capture their soul. Uh, yeah, so he had to pay the audiences. The owner of the movie theater put a lot of money into this, but he paid him because he wanted good press, right? It went on for about three weeks until everybody started saying, okay, maybe it's okay. They're not going to, we're not going to die. Because by 1913, he was so successful, he had 10 theaters in the colony. You know, that, that reminds me, in 2001, I was in Hong Kong, and I noticed there were buildings that had big round circles in them. Uh-huh. I mean, they're big squares or round circles where you could see right through the buildings. And, and several have said, what is that? And it oh. turned out. There's a superstition that spirits could not get, get past through. these buildings. They yeah. wanted the spirits to be able to go in and out of the graveyards on the hills of the mountains. There. Well, that's cool. So you still see modern buildings with these big holes in the middle. Wow. They're elegantly designed, yeah. but big holes. Oh, I like that. That's uh, 
Something Pretty interesting, about that I like. Yeah, although you'd think a spirit could just kind of go through. If the it's building. a real spirit, if yeah. it's an American spirit, <laughs> it can go anywhere. <laughs> okay, here's a historical question: What does Vinci in Leonardo da Vinci's name mean? What is Vinci? Well, let's see. Of Vinci, uh, De Vinci. So, is there a little town called Vinci? That's exactly right. Oh, it's okay. a little Italian town where he was born in 1452, and in those days. The custom was to call people by the community that they were born in. So uh-huh. even though he grew up in Florence, Leonardo was always known as Leonardo of Vinci all of his life. Instead of Dave oh, Florence. Oh, you're just from that little backwater town over there. <laughs> what can you do? You know, sure, it looks like a helicopter. Come on. It will never amount to anything. All the things that man did. Huh. And he's from a little tiny town. So yeah. that proves you can come from small places and oh, do great I things. never doubted it. Oh, come on. Let's talk famous pen names. Okay? Okay. We all know that Mark Twain was really Samuel Clemens. Right. But see if you can guess these three female literary heavyweights. I'm going to give you their real names, and you try to tell me their pen name. Okay. 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 Let's start with Mary Ann Evans. Mary Ann Evans. Who is Mary Ann Evans? She was George Eliot. Oh, really? That's yep. George Eliot's real name was yep. Mary Ann Evans. Yeah, she was a novelist, poet, journalist, and leading writer of the Victorian era. George apparently carried a lot more weight in those days than Mary Ann did. Well, if you're George, I mean, yeah. people thought it was a man. You yeah. remember Little Women is a good example. That story is about a woman having trouble getting published yeah. because she's a woman. That's so. why George did it. Yeah. And it worked. Mary Ann Evans. Yeah, it was George Eliot. Wow. Okay, how about this one? Have any idea who Mary Westmacott was? Mary Westmacott? Yeah. This How do you is, spell that? Uh, W-E-S-T-M-A-C-O-T-T. Westmacott. I now, you uh, may have read some of this woman's uh, books or seen some of the movies. Is it Agatha Christie? Yes, no kidding. Yeah. And that's her. what was her real name again? Mary Westmacott. Wow. <laughs> okay. Now, here are three authors with the same last pen name. And the same real name. Really? Yep. They were Acton, A-C-T-O-N, Acton, Ellis, and Currer, C-U-R-R-E-R, Bell. That was their author's name. That really? was on I'm... all their literary works. There was Acton, Ellis, and Currer, Bell. Don't know who. Okay, I'll give you a hint. They all had the real same last names because... They were sisters. They were sisters. So is it the Bronte sisters? Yes. No kidding. Yes. That's good. See, you got it. So they used those names when they published their books. Yes. They didn't have the Bronte. No. Really? No. And the three sisters, Anne, Emily, and Charlotte Bronte, wanted to keep their privacy and their initials. So you'll see Acton, Alice, and Kerr are Anne, Emily, and Charlotte. I'll be darned. (laughs) And they, too, thought they'd have better luck than they didn't think any men would read something by uh, a woman. Charlotte Bronte. Well, no, probably not. Yeah. Probably true at the time. Yeah. Okay, this goes back a little further than that. Did you know that Thomas Jefferson selected the building site for one of America's biggest corporations? Now, this is so different than what you think of Thomas Jefferson. He wanted a nation of farmers. Yeah. He didn't uh, like industry. He was very suspicious of business. Yet, he chose the site for one of America's biggest corporations, and it still operates in this neighborhood. What's the corporation? Can you tell me the state? Delaware. Famous. I don't know. DuPont. Oh. In 1797, Thomas Jefferson did a favor for an old friend, a French nobleman named Pierre. Pierre's son had come to America after the French Revolution. Jefferson knew the family. They'd helped him negotiate the treaty ending the American Revolution. Their name was DuPont. The younger DuPont had studied explosives manufacturing in France, and he wanted to set up his own gunpowder business in America. And Jefferson encouraged him to do that uh, because they went through the Revolutionary War, and it was hard to get the ammunition and stuff. So he encouraged the DuPonts to uh, set up a explosives manufacturing business on the Delaware Brandywine River. Central location to all states, plenty of water to run the powder mills. And it's no accident that when the first DuPont gunpowder went on sale in 1804, the federal government was the first customer. And who was president then? Jefferson. That's right. (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, it's a little bit of uh, crony capitalism. It started way, way back. That's the term. Yeah. It's who you know. That's right. All right. Why are flamingos pink? Because God made them that way. (laughs) No, he didn't. Really? No. God didn't make 
flamingos pink? <laughs> you mean all the all the flamingos we've seen that are pink, even those down in Mexico in this place, those are fake? No, they're not fake. There's a reason why they're pink. Okay. Well, <laughs> well why are you they? Look, you look befuddled, I my friend. I am befuddled, your friend. <laughs> I am your friend and I am befuddled. Well, it's their diet. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They really like shrimp and other invertebrates, but mostly shrimp and algae. And what they eat turns their fluffy little bodies pink. You're kidding. No. I don't know. What if they... How did they know? They do a controlled study, and we're going to feed this one chicken and see what <laughs> happens to him. So what color are they when they're born? They're white or they're gray. Hmm. And they stay that way for a couple, three years, and uh, after their diet gets uh, saturated, they turn pink. Okay. <laughs> okay, so... You know, this is 4th of July week coming up next week. Mm-hmm. Hard to believe, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Jeez. Okay, so I'm going to end with a few uh, presidential things here. Okay. Okay. One of my favorite historical synchronicities is that founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, who were frenemies their whole lives, <laughs> died within hours of each other on the 4th of July, 1826. But did you know there was another president who died on that auspicious date, the 4th of July, just five years later? No, I didn't know that. Can you name him? Want to take a guess? One of the early guys. Yeah. Madison would be another one. Monroe would be another one. Oh, you you lifted your head when I said that. It's James Monroe. (laughs) Yeah, that was a tell, Marcia. Oh, I'll try to remember that. That is correct. James Monroe. But isn't that the earliest presidents that they would die on the 4th of July? I I don't think that's coincidence. I think it's fascinating that that really did happen. That's Bob Smith and uh, his wife, Marcia, called the off-ramp, talking about the 4th of July. And that wraps up OK Boomer. I'm Robert Rickman. And I'd like to thank Bob and Marcia Smith, Roger Ramjet, Jill Graskowitz, Sharon Lawless, the Nashville, Tennessee Cub Scouts, and Janice Paul. Join me next time around. And remember, we all have choices.